Hello and welcome to Dark Alignment Podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Aruka Rose. And this is Season 4, Episode 1. We're so happy to be back. So excited. Um, So excited for this story tonight. We are going to be covering the Menendez brothers and the entire Menendez family, actually. So uh, we've been... Very, very busy in the meantime before getting this out to you. So we apologize for any delay, but you will not be sorry for the things we've been working on. We actually took time off to work on new projects for you. So we did. We're going to just promote the thing that we have been really, really devoting a lot of time and energy to, and that is our workshop. We have created this amazing workshop that mixes psychology, human development, and astrology through the entire house system. Um, and we think that you guys will get a lot out of it. If you go check that out, everything you could ever want is on darklinementpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are staying connected with us uh, so you don't miss any updates. We're always doing things. We're always sharing it with you guys. So even if we're not putting out episodes constantly because we're doing a lot of other projects too, you can stay connected so you don't miss a beat. So make sure you like, you follow, subscribe. Um, also, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, make sure you give us a rating and a review. You can say whatever the hell you want. We really, like the words don't matter. What matters is it just helps boost a podcast up in the charts. So that's like the coolest thing you can do to help a podcast that doesn't cost any money at all. Just if, takes a second. If you're cool, you're going to do if it. If you're cool, you're going to do it. And you can even say like, I'm cool, I did it as, <laughs> as your review. Like that would be great. We would love that. Um, or just tell us like your favorite ice cream flavor or like anything. We don't care. Just mm-hmm. Say something super Who, What weird. you're going to be for Halloween. Oh, what are you going to be for That's Halloween? That's what I want to know. <laughs> and that is what I want to know. Yes, please. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I had it all planned. All my plans have fallen apart and I have to. Same. <sighs> okay, we got to come up with a plan. <laughs> so sidebar, we have to vote for what you want us to be for Halloween also. We want your suggestions. Tell us what you're going to be. Tell us what we should be. Uh, Let's make it mutual. Let's all work together (laughs) on this. Um, And then another great way that you can support our show is by joining our Patreon. So our patrons have been live streaming with us for the last 20 minutes. They've gotten all the background. They've already seen the charts. They've gotten all that info. Um, And we've talked already a little bit about this case in depth Mm -hmm. with them. So, you know, we do weekly bonus content always for Patreon. They get to live stream every single episode. They get discounts. Like, they get a discounted rate for our workshop. Tons of perks. Discounted readings from each Mm -hmm. of us. We try to make sure our patrons are well taken care of because they take care of us. And we've been doing some super fun stuff on there. My personal favorite is we've been doing murderer makeovers. My, this is my favorite thing right now, too. Been absolutely living for it. You know, it. sometimes you just look at Casey Anthony and think, she needs a makeover. And you think, what if she was a cowgirl? What? Or what if she was... <laughs> Ed Gein? Ed Gein. Ed Gein. Sometimes you look at him and you're like, man, wouldn't he just look way better with more eyelashes? Man, he, he could be cuter. Yeah. He, he, he could... could Yes, same with John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's like needs a Paris and Spring vibe. Like you just <laughs> never really know. Um, so that is basically what we are doing a lot now as a short series for Patreon. It's been a lot of fun. It's been hilarious. Mm-hmm. So we do that and many other things. So again, darkalignmentpodcast.com is where you can join us there. We would love to have you. We also have merchandise. Woo. So if you would love a custom scented candle when you light it, 
the wax looks like blood. It smells amazing. Mm-hmm. They're locally made, made by a woman-owned business, Anastasia Blue Alchemy. We love you guys. Uh, they do an amazing job. I love the scent so much. The scent is beautiful. It's like a cranberry orange magic. I don't mm-hmm. even know. They created a custom scent for the podcast. so It's our energy in a candle. And they are two beautiful, wonderful local witches that we absolutely love. So we would love to... Um, See you guys burning our candles. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you have one, like, send us a picture of you of you burning it. That would make and us happy. And the stickers. Stickers. Stickers are an easy, awesome thing. They're cheap. You put them on anything you want. Rock the podcast. Um, and they also say, let's chart this bitch on here, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, and then you have some really cool things going on. You're offering some readings right now that are, like, seasonal. Yes. So every, every fall, and only during fall... I offer shadow self readings, and these are all about your shadow side that's reflected through your astrology chart, as well as a channeled message through that with the cards, um, and what type of shadow work you can do, what's, you know, what kind of guidance your guides are offering you for shadow work uh, for this season. I think that this is a really great time of year to really reflect on, uh, you know, the first house is a lot about how we show up in life, Mm -hmm. but to look at that seventh house look at like what's behind you what maybe you reject or what you need mirrored back to you i think it's yes very good time for this you've done my shadow reading mm-hmm. before and it's awesome like i actually yes. still listen back to it all the time and that's the thing is these readings are timeless mm-hmm. they really are this is just a really good time like i will probably revisit mine yes. um as soon as we hit libra season just exactly. to really kind of and I've extended it this year. So you Ooh. have what is now part one of that reading. Oh, my God. And so I have now added a part two, okay, I gotta get which part is two. all the channeled messages. Oh. I'll do a part two just for you. Oh, my That's, God. I like an only part two. Oh, my God. Okay. But a part two, part one is, is very timeless. And then part two will be like really focused on here and now, like, what you can like dig into right now awesome uh, and more channeled stuff. So that's really exciting. And I'm only offering that until uh, from now until uh, November 8th. Okay. So after that, it will be um, too close to my birthday and I'm not doing readings. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you do that for yourself. Taking this I have break. To, have to have a break. Um, and then right at that time, you guys need to know that the eclipse is coming. The, the oh eclipse gosh. is coming um, at the end of October and early November. So you will want to get on these eclipse readings, especially if you have anything in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, or Leo. Those are the ones that are going to be facing the most uh, those fixed signs, yeah, these, these conflicting those energies. Fixed energies. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to have a those, those signs are going to have a lot of intense interactions with these eclipses coming up, just like the ones that we had in the spring. Um, so go ahead and book that. If you book that early, I believe I'm giving. I think I have a discount for people oh, who yes. are booking it early, so it's not like. The week of, I have a hundred of those yep. readings to do. I always get um, eclipse readings. Yes. Um, that's, and then mm-hmm. I listen to them like 900 times before, during, and after the eclipse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing is her readings are all recorded. So you can just yeah. keep listening and kind of really like, it's amazing what sticks out each time I listen. It'll be like a different part. It'll like kind of it really resonate does. and stick out a lot more. Because you move through the entire thing and it's like, well, I'm only on the first one. But I'm still going to listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then when it's closer to that first one, I'm, like, super focused in on it. Right, so. Especially the readings where I'm looking at, like, things happening over time. Yep. Um, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like, I'm vibing with this part. But, like, you won't vibe with the next part until, right. like, it comes up in your yep. life. Uh, so it's it's really fascinating. I think it's a great perk to having recorded readings. Um 
you know, when I have readings that aren't recorded, I try to take notes, but it's not the same. I agree. Yeah. I had somebody ask me if I could do a live reading for them the other day, and I was like, I can, but I usually do recorded, and mm-hmm. here's why. And then I did his reading, and he goes, okay, I had to listen to that, like, 15 times. Yep. He's like, I'm so glad we didn't do that live. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's how it goes. Live readings are great. They are, but... But it's, it's more of like a consultation where we're talking and discussing things, mm-hmm. and that is good in its own way, but if you want, like something that's going to be really detailed and extensive, I think record is the way to go. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I offer for most of my readings, and they're all integrated readings, so I use astrology, cards, runes, pendulum, you know, channeling. It's it's a lot of combination of everything. So we've that. got shadow readings and eclipse readings coming up you got to get on those yeah and as always i do dream readings i do Mm -hmm. dream analysis readings i do tarot do a little bit of everything um but my book is still available on amazon for those Mm -hmm. of you who haven't had a chance to get a copy yet yes um we have that i believe on our website too anyone interested in dreams and how their dreams work what they mean doing dream work you got to get this book if you've ever wanted to understand your own dreams you know i kind of teach you how to do that how to walk through the sub layers and pick that apart and kind of find that meaning for yourself. And if you want to go deeper, like I would love to work with you Mm -hmm. one-on-one. These are very personal, very, very conversational, um, interactive readings. So if that's something that you'd like to do, get in touch with me. We, we do all the things. We love being in touch with you guys. So connect with us on social media. We love it when you guys um, give us comments and tell us things and give us episode suggestions. We've had a lot of really, really good ones lately. We really have. Um, especially on Instagram. So we appreciate you guys so much. Um, and then the last time we were here, I don't know if you remember, do you remember who we covered last? (laughs) This is a pop quiz that you didn't know. I mean, I mean, yes, but no. Okay. So for our season, you're about to be like, oh man, as soon as I say it. For our season three finale, we did a two-parter Was covering Lacey, Lacey yeah, okay, Peterson. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remembered, guys. Don't worry. I knew you did, That's, but it just, it's been a minute. I, I, it came up and I was like doubting myself. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Never do that. <laughs> never do that. Never, never, never. Um, but if you haven't got a chance to listen to that episode yet or that two-parter, that's our only two-parter we've ever done. And super, super excited with how that turned out. So um, go give that a listen. And I guess without further ado, we're ready to go ahead and get into this episode of the Menendez Brothers. But I do have a disclaimer. I'm going to be warning you guys multiple times. This this particular episode is covering some sensitive subject matter. So we will be talking about some abuse situations, uh, specifically child sexual abuse comes up multiple times in this story. So advanced trigger warning, we're not gonna get into anything like that for a while, but I just wanna make it very known because this is a very sensitive topic. I do go out of my way to discuss this from a very clinical standpoint. I do a full psychological analysis of kind of the victimology, um, the psychological effects of it all, um, like how someone becomes that type of offender, all the details there. Um, and for, for the rest of the episode, I will be referring to child sexual abuse as CSA mm-hmm. and child sex offenders as CSO. So mm-hmm. just to kind of like take some of that triggering language out of Absolutely. The episode, I want to just go as clinical as I can. And keep YouTube a little bit happier with us. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I just think it's important to to really understand this. A big part of my schooling mm-hmm. involved uh, like sexual studies and human mm-hmm. sexuality. 
So a lot of sexual dysfunction, a lot of different types of paraphilias. That's been like a huge focus for me. So I'm excited to be able to share a lot of that with you today. I put over 25 hours of research into this episode. I'm really, really excited to, to get into it. Yes, so. I am too. Let's do this. We got to start with my sources. All right. Should we move him? Yeah, let's move Frank. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, we have a, a skeleton that is our new co-host slash mascot. His toes are always pointed. Uh, his toes are always pointed. For those of you who are on Patreon or watching on YouTube, you can actually see Frank. And if you've heard weird jarring noises, that's his joints. He has arthritis. He has arthritis. He's Oh my gosh, you can see him in the background. Is okay, that great? Good? Yeah, that's great. Oh my gosh. Like a yeah, he looks very snobby. He perfect. looks that's perfect because we are going to be in Beverly Hills for a lot of this episode. So he's got Beverly Hills energy back there. Look I like that. it. He's doing great. He's, See, doing he's great. already adding so much to the podcast. He is. He's contributing. Um, he's been a great investment so far. Absolutely. I'm glad we hired him. I'm so glad we hired him. So, sources for this episode. Wikipedia, always one of my favorite resources, and please donate if you are a user of Wikipedia. I make an annual donation every year, and I ask you guys always to hold me to it. If I'm running late or behind on it, I always make it known, like, everybody harass me until I do my donation, just because I use this resource. I want it to stick around. It's free information for the public, and I think that Wikipedia does a great job. Um, IMDB.com, ABC News, Law and Order True Crime, The Menendez Murders, the Hulu series entitled The Menendez Brothers, Eric Tells All, which is actually interviews um, with Eric in prison, talking about all the details of this case. Mm -hmm. um, there's a fantastic Lifetime movie, I loved this, called um, Menendez Blood Brothers, starring Courtney Love. She plays Kitty. Who's hey. the mother, and she does a fabulous job, and I mean, it's just so good. That was probably the most enjoyable part of my research, and I watched that movie literally like four times because I just was <laughs> like, this is so enjoyable. I'll probably watch it tonight at bedtime just because it's... You need to watch it again? It's just so enjoyable, um, and it's very, very true to the actual story, so it's not like mm -hmm. super, super Hollywood fabricated or anything. Um, the, the actual Barbara Walters interview with Eric and Lyle, which is pretty, pretty interesting, pretty intense... Um, and then there's a really, really awesome YouTuber who I think has really done a great job putting all the pieces of this together. Her name is Kendall Ray, and I, I absolutely love her. Love her. Yeah, I love her. Um, so her episode on the Menendez Brothers is really, really good, too. So um, I, I used a lot of her info just as, like, she added things in there that I was like, oh, I didn't think to add that in I've there. I've watched like, her for a long time. I really like her. She's phenomenal. So shout out to her. Um, but an overview of kind of what this story is, what it's all about, what goes on, why are we even talking about it now? Okay, so um, Joseph Lyle Menendez, the eldest brother, and Eric, I think he, you pronounce his middle name Galen mm. Menendez. It's just okay. interesting middle Galan. name. Galen. Galen. I think it's Galen. <laughs> um, Menendez, uh, they're upper class American brothers who were convicted in 1996 for the murders of both of their parents, Jose mm. and Mary Louise, who was also known as Kitty Menendez. So this was obviously took place in 1996. I was in the fourth grade at the time, but I remember this story. I was also, I was already into true crime by that age. I was like nine. I was three. <laughs> I was maybe 10, 9 or 10. I was like, um, you know, learning to talk or whatever and yeah. running around. I was absolutely into true crime <laughs> at this point in my life. Um, and <laughs> even though it's an older case, it's been gaining a lot of popularity 
Um, and I think a lot of that is because of TikTok. It's been yeah. like a thing brought up on TikTok. But I think it has a lot to do with the narrative surrounding CSA mm-hmm. and child abuse in general and how we view victims of this type of tragedy because it was very, very different in the 90s. And you can see oh, that nice. in the court proceedings. Like, it's actually pretty grueling to go back and see these interviews with with the brothers at the time and the way they that these uh, topics were addressed and the way they were asked about them it was you know it, it was back in a time where if you had been abused by if you were a male who had been abused by a male offender you were assumed to be gay mm-hmm. which is just insanity and we know that now we know that is absolutely ludicrous insane but this was such a time and place in history that you can just really even though it doesn't seem that long ago um, it was very different. The narrative has absolutely shifted. So I do think that is a big part of what has caused some resurgence in this mm-hmm. case and why people have taken a new interest in it after all this time. So again, trigger warning, there is murder. There is CSA, which again, child sexual abuse throughout here. Um, mm-hmm. I will continue to warn you as we get into more sensitive spots. But we're going to go ahead and start with the patriarch of this family, we're going to talk about Jose, Jose Menendez, and I call this section Jose's Journey. <laughs> My section titles are always Jose's um, Journey. Jose's Journey. So let's hear about old dad here. All right. I've got his chart up. All right. Jose Enrique Menendez was born May 6, 1944 in Havana, Cuba. And this is fascinating, but both of his parents were professional athletes. Whoa. Yes. So he was born into a really competitive and really successful family. His father was a well-known soccer player who owned his own accounting firm. So also had this like, he wasn't just a jock. He was also smart. You had to kind of be everything in this family. You had to like be super successful in all the ways. And his mother was a professional swimmer. She was actually inducted into Cuba's Sports Hall of Fame. So she was very well known. Mm -hmm. Um, his parents were famous athletes. Their family was pretty well off. People knew who they were. Like, mm-hmm. they had this, like, prestige about them. And it sounds like a really good life, and it was for a while. But in 1959, when Jose was only 16, this very idyllic life that he was living was pretty much uprooted because of Fidel Castro. He overthrew the government, seized property of the wealthy and the upper middle class, and this was during the Cuban Revolution. So this was a huge Huge life event that happened mm-hmm. to an entire country. I mean, everybody felt this. So um, as a safety precaution, Jose was moved to the United States. His family wanted to get him out of there. So he went by himself to the United States. Um, huh. So, yeah, without his family, they all stayed in Cuba trying to salvage their property and possessions. And he was obviously, mm-hmm. like, left to fend for himself. And he ends up in New York City. Mm -hmm. he's a dishwasher um and he's like trying to support himself he's a kid he's a kid who's you know not from america literally like trying to learn how to acclimate himself to a brand new place with nobody with no support with no family very very intense situation i imagine this was a very traumatic time definitely um he was living in an attic this was really really difficult Um, but he was super super determined Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, he was very resilient. He wanted to make something of himself. He came from this very high achieving family um, and he did make something of, his, of himself. He did very well in school. He earned an athletic scholarship. So he, you know, just wow. like his parents, was very athletic, very uh-huh. smart, um, 
And just, I think more than anything, put all of his effort into being and becoming somebody. Like that was really, really, really important. He wasn't just going to be satisfied mm-hmm. working in a dish room and being complacent. That was right. not in his nature. That's not how he was raised. And even without his parents influencing him and being right there with him, he still pursued that. Um, and he couldn't afford to go to an Ivy League college. So that was kind of a thing that he always felt shame about. Because he, mm-hmm. you know, that you got to be the best of the best. You got to go to the best school. You got to be the best. You got to beat everyone. You got to win everything. That was his attitude. Yeah. Um, so he later, of course, wanted exactly this for his sons. So this kind of shows you what type of person that we're, that we're dealing with. Um, and then, you know, the next portion is him meeting Kitty. They met pretty young. So I don't know if you want to talk about anything you've seen on the chart with Jose's yeah, young talk life. About I think chart good for a minute. to look at him. So um, Jose being uh, born again, May 6, 1944, We uh, do not have a birth time for him, so we don't have any houses. You know, there's no rising sign that we can know of right now. Um, But his son is in Taurus. He's a Taurus, and he has a Libra moon right at the end of Libra. Uh, The sun in Taurus is right in the middle, really close to uh, Mercury, which was in retrograde at that time, Mm -hmm. and Venus. Those are also in Taurus. Um. On the moon side, we do have Neptune in Libra along with the moon, but they're they're pretty far apart still. They're about 26 degrees apart. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, Neptune was retrograde. And his north and south node, which are interesting to me, um, he's got the south node right on the zero degree of Aquarius, and the zero degree of uh, Leo has his north node conjunct Pluto. So when we have that kind of like a Pluto conjunction with the node, it shows like a major life transformation, mm-hmm. you know? So I think we do see him make so much change. Um, and the South node being an Aquarius, uh, we can see like his past being more involved with things that had to do with the community, things that do with the collective. That's a lot of Aquarian energy being different, even um, being kind of, a a loner being isolated from not isolated but like um alienated yeah i mean i think it's a really good him him going from um the situation he was in with a government situation uh, that's like a big community type issue to deal with and then moving and being alone and trying to like be his own individual in this new society i think he spent a lot of time in his early life really involved with that aquarian type energy yeah um and that's what's shown on his chart he um then with the little pluto in the north node being in leo his later life probably being more about him and um what he wants to do with his life what he wants to create and this like transformation that he comes into oh you have no idea how correct you are right now either i love it oh fantastic yeah i love when you foreshadow a little bit because later you'll be like oh that's why i said that it's so great i have a few other thoughts but i haven't haven't gotten there um so some other thoughts um him with the taurus sun and like that mercury and the Venus, I think he is really like situated in what he in what he sees himself as and what he wants to be. 
Um, that Venus being kind of like your desires and like things you value in life. He, he is really, uh, maybe kind of stubborn or like steadfast in what he wants for himself. He's probably not the type of person to like see some other way to do thing and something and be like, Oh, maybe I should do it that way. I think I want to do it that way now. Like he's already doing it the way he wants to do it. And that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and then his mind is really made up in that too, but I think he does, move a little bit slower like his pace is probably um that mercury retrograde in taurus is like very um steady like okay i'm gonna move forward i'm this is how i'm gonna plan this or this is how i'm gonna talk about this i kind of wonder how he sounded when he talked a little bit um but uh his thought process would have been almost almost like regimented but i think that's maybe a little more a little more Capricorn type of word. Um, but having it so close to his son, I think that he um, is very self-assured in how he thinks in in Taurus. Um, he's going to take his time if he needs to, and he's not concerned about that. Right. Um, the Libra moon can make him a little bit more appeasable, you know, a little more appeasing, a little bit more pleasant. Um where he can he can kind of see the other side of things, be like, oh, okay, like this is kind of what I, you know, it's it's kind of a more balancing um, placement, but he will want things to like feel uh, a certain way, like he's got like, um, you know. Um, I really wish we knew his rising sign. I know, I, I do really too. do. I do too. Uh, but his Chiron is what I wanted to mention real ah. quick. He has Chiron conjunct Lilith in Virgo. And so this is all trying to his placements in Taurus. And it makes this really amazing, like, almost like pull yourself up by your bootstraps type thing. Where he goes through this trauma, this awful thing. Um, Not being able to be one with his people, not being able to be of service, not being able to have like this daily nice routine that he wants, you know, there's a lot of things that go on with Cairo and Virgo. Um, It is retrograde at the same time. So it adds more nuance to it, but um, having Lilith right on it as well shows he's like empowering himself through this and he's going to make it happen. He's going to do what he needs to do every day to make sure that he, uh, gets past this awful situation. So yeah. I think that that's very really diligent great. in very the way diligent. he does things, but mm-hmm. also very little grace for anything. <laughs> and that's something that'll come up in the story mm-hmm. a lot is like having no grace for anybody who can't do that. Because it's yeah. almost like I can do this and I do yep. it through all the hardest things. And why can't you yes. do it? Like that's very much his attitude. So I love that you're hitting And it on will that. probably be like that more and more the more he gets older because that Pluto on your north node, Pluto mm-hmm. is harsh. So mm-hmm. Pluto can be great. It's transformational. It's going to get rid of everything you don't need. Um, but when you have a Pluto aspect, remember that it's harsh. Like if your moon is doing something with Pluto... Um, you might be a little harsh, more harsh on yourself that day than normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if he went through a transformation, like you got to do it too. Come on, get with it. Yeah. Let's cut it out. Do it now. That's the attitude that we'll <laughs> see uh, with him as a father. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we go into his meeting with uh, Kitty and kind of getting into her and kind of their relationship? Hmm. Anything else standing out before we? Um. Hmm. So his Juno, they're married, right? 
They get married. They, they haven't met married. yet in our story. But they right, right. But they, they, they will. end up. They meet soon. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where I want to look on the chart. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do see a little bit of conflict there, but also some good things. He's got, like, a lot of these, like, squares and trines going on with uh, Jupiter. So there's, there's a lot of this, like, really grand, like opportunity and fortune coming on him but at the same and i think the marriage helps with that but at the same time it like brings him down in some way you're gonna really then, be shocked when i tell you <laughs> things about their marriage it like there's there's a conflict there's a stress there that like almost yeah it's like really like can set them back um and then uh maybe some aggressive issues or like not being like caring or sweet like comforting these yeah. are all correct things <laughs> these are absolutely correct things oh well, i'm excited to hear about you're kind of like making predictions right now which i really like i know that's not what you're intending to do but like it's you're foreshadowing without knowing you're doing it it's so much fun well, that's what's that's what's fun about this that is i can just so read the energy and then we'll We'll see how it manifested yeah. in the story. Are you ready to hear the next piece of this? Yep. I'm going to, should I pull up her chart? Too? Yeah, you should go ahead and pull her chart right. up. So, so now we're going to get to Jose meets Kitty. He went to college, not Ivy League, which of course, uh, such a disappointment, you know. Like, <laughs> he went to uh, Southern <laughs> Illinois University. That is where he meets his future wife, her, her um, maiden name, Mary Louise Anderson. Of course, she always went by the nickname Kitty. So I don't really know why, but everybody just I like her. Kitty, though. She's so Kitty. Really like, like Kitty. it's so cute for her. Um, so we're going to just call her Kitty. Um, and she was actually a few years ahead of him in mm-hmm. school, but they hit it off right away. They got married in 1964. They actually eloped, which is kind of fun. Like, they just wow. kind of like, uh, like a rebellious move. Um, and then after they graduated, so Jose ends up passing the CPA exam. Becoming a successful businessman, just like his father, who was an athlete and uh, an accountant. So he definitely, like, followed that patriarchal the whole pathway that was set for him, mm-hmm. which also, that's a cultural thing as well, you know, yeah. from, from kind of his background. Uh, so he kind of felt like, okay, this is the path. This is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do. Like you said, he's very self-assured about it. Um, in all of his workplaces, he was credited with being highly intelligent and diligent, but he was extremely disliked by pretty much everyone because he was arrogant, he was rude to his coworkers, he was abrasive to anyone who worked underneath him, so he like belittled people, he was not a nice man, people absolutely fucking hated him. Huh. So, <laughs> really interesting, and he was also ashamed of his Cuban heritage. Really ashamed of it. He was not proud of it at all. Hmm. So he started going by the name Joe instead of Jose. He Americanized his name. Wow. To sort of get rid of that. One time That'd be I really wish we could see his rising for that. I know. One time he was given this congratulatory letter of recognition for being a minority business owner, and he felt so insulted by this gesture. Like it, like it somehow cheapened the fact that he was successful. Oh, it's because you're a minority. We're going to give you this extra recognition. He was wow. not okay with that. He did not like that. So people did not like mm-hmm. him at all. But it was a little different for Kitty. She was actually like really well liked. She was a <laughs> former beauty queen, and of course, she's a Libra. Yeah, you she's know? a Libra. She's got a Leo moon. Oh, yay! It's great. It's perfect. yes, yeah. yeah. She's like. The fact that she was a former beauty queen, too, like she was very stunning, very physically stunning. 
Um, her parents actually didn't like Jose. They didn't approve of the marriage, which is why they eloped. So she was like marrying her man anyway. Um, and it's it's very, very interesting. And, uh, okay, big thing that I don't know if you could see this anywhere on his chart. You did call out some of his marriage stuff, how it's like good, but also kind of like challenges him in this like negative mm-hmm. way that brings him down. He was a major womanizer. Major. <laughs> he had multiple mistresses, countless affairs throughout his entire marriage to Kitty, and it was suspected that she knew about them too. So wow. uh, I don't know about that, but like, the, it's not off to a great start for them as like a couple. Mm-hmm. Like, she's kind of like this sweet like person that everybody likes, beauty queen, um, and he's this asshole that everybody hates. I mean, I can see that. So. Now that we've got her chart up, too, with the... She's got um, the sun right where his moon is. Yep. So that is a really uh, intense connection when you find somebody who has... When there's, like, a sun-moon sinistry aspect, like, a, you know, your sun and their moon or vice versa, it's very... You feel very connected to them. You That person feels seen, like, you embody, like, this inner part of them, and then... But, you know, reverse, like, you're like, wow, like, this person really, truly, deeply gets me who for who I am. Um, so it's it's a very strong connection. And then her moon being there in uh, Leo, right where, <laughs> <laughs> right where Pluto is at this same time, period of time, um, and where he, it is on his chart. So that's also his north node, if you remember. Yep. So he's moving towards her moon sign. So, like, it's... Wow. You know, that feels really like a calling to... Yeah, for her sun and moon. He's, uh-huh. like, drawn. Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense. I see why they were, like, drawn to each other so much. Um, and they'll probably go through a lot of... She'll at least go through a lot of emotional transformations during this period of time while they're together. Because um, he will trigger her Pluto aspect so much. But she's got a really strong Pluto moon aspect and she has chiron and leo too she's got a lot of emotional like depth to her yeah for especially like with her moon being in leo and having being able to like express it too like i'd really like to have a conversation with her yeah we're gonna get into a lot Uh, of uh kind of how she dealt with that too like we'll get into that as we get further into the story um but definitely a lot of emotional depth like Mm -hmm. you're saying and being able to like like express it like that's what really fascinates me too because like obviously like every sign can have like there's like a depth to every sign but uh leo is so good at Mm-hmm. telling you about it so yeah uh, having pluto and chiron and the moon there i'd like love to hear her talk about her feelings um <laughs> uh, well you can just watch courtney love uh portray her it's fantastic oh, okay. i will like that that lifetime movie guys please go watch it it's so good um her uh south note is in pisces and her north note is in virgo so she was probably attracted to how he was able to pull himself up to mm-hmm. um become something in uh this new world that he like moved into like that was a really empowering his way he empowers himself i think is really uh feels it like draws her in more i like it to him um she has juno in libra with her son so I, i think she is at the end of the day like really committed to um herself but then when she met him with his moon in libra it made her, like, really feel committed to him. Yeah. Um, her Venus is in Sagittarius. 
Uh, it is, let's see what else she has. Um, he is a Taurus. So in her sign of Taurus, she has Lilith and Saturn and Uranus. Interesting combo. I know. All on top of each other, like within a few degrees. So when um, all of these are coming together, I mean, this is her strike. Saturn and Uranus are all re- are both retrograde as well. So the Saturn retrograde, her life structure is based in conjunction with the planet of like sporadic things. Um <laughs> electric energy like really like oh like anything could happen almost a random um earthquakes like this is very like earthquake vibe being in taurus especially with saturn like um she she will probably base a lot of her major life structure on like kind of spur of the moment spontaneous Mm -hmm. things um, I could definitely see her eloping. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> not a jump, a leap for her. Um, and then, especially if it's something that she's doing to empower herself because Lilith is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she wants to marry the guy she wants to marry, she's going to, like, empower herself. Like, this is what I got to do. I'm going to go do it. Yeah, fuck you, Mom uh-huh. and Dad. I'm doing what I want over here. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's right. And this I is like opposite that. Venus, so it's all, like, on that same on a different side of the same coin. Wow. All connected to what she desires for her life. Um, and I think that since he has so much Taurus, I, the um, some of the issues are also going to be shown here where, like, he creates more uh, unexpected things to come up in her life and her life structure and kind of dismantle things as she goes along. And she has to empower herself through each of those instances um that's all just with those those three placements in taurus um i love it she, she's got a really interesting chart and i mean i think that we will learn kind of more about her how she shows up as a mother because we're looking at now how she's a wife and how she's her own person but if you're ready, we'll go ahead and move into... Oh, yeah. They become a family of four, everybody. Family of four. So before too long, Joe and Kitty have two sons, Lyle, born July 10th, 1968, and Eric... Oh, July or January? July or January. I, this might be a typo on my part. Because I have January. I'm pretty sure it was January, and this is a typo on my part. I'll double check. Sorry about that. No, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know, the birthdays are important for us. They so. are. I'm pretty sure that that is a typo on my part. Lyle, right? Yes. Yeah, Lyle. I'm, I'm like 99% sure <laughs> it was supposed to say January. But, you know, sometimes I black out while I'm doing things. Yo, you, you did a lot. Yeah, January. Okay. See, we're yeah, good. I'm crazy. We're good. It's great. We got it. Um, okay. We're good. So, and then Eric was born two years later. So they're two years apart. They're very close. Um, Not just close in age, but they're close emotionally. They're best friends. Like their entire life, they watch out for each other. But when Kitty got pregnant, she was very excited. She was very, very excited to be a mom. She quit her job to devote herself to her new role as a mother. So this was something she was taking very seriously, Mm -hmm. very devoted to this. And so Um, she wanted her day-to-day to to be. Yes. And then a little bit about the boys. So Lyle, like I said, was the oldest, but he was definitely the more dominant and assertive of the two brothers. And that happens a lot when you have an older sibling and a younger sibling. Typically the older sibling. Well, the older sibling sibling was a Capricorn, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, Eric had a more timid, submissive personality. He was a little bit more sensitive, kind of like the little sweeter, you know. Um, little baby Taurus. Little baby over there. So mm-hmm. they had a, a totally different vibe. So uh, they were, like I said, very close growing up. They're still close like that to this day. They are still extremely close, even though they're in prison. They are, wow. like, inseparable heart space. Like, they're so deeply heart space connected. So I'll be interested to see their synastry and how all that lines up. Because, like, there's so much love between these two individuals. Um, Lyle was very protective of his little brother. And they did everything together. When it came to peer relationships, they did have friends, but they cared more about each other. Like, they had friends, but it was more like they were each other's best right. friend. And, like... Friends, and they shared friends. It wasn't like they each had their own friend groups. Like, they had a shared friend group between them. You weren't friends with one of the brothers without being friends with both of the brothers. And I feel like a lot of times twins are a little bit more like that. Yeah. Like, they share friends, but not... These two were not twins at all, two years apart, and still were that That close. close. They had a special connection. This is kind of funny, but former friends have mentioned that they always felt like the two brothers were always, like, plotting and scheming and trying to, like, screw them over. Like, they didn't kind of trust them. Um, They were raised to be very sneaky and also very aggressive and always trying to get ahead in life. So they kind of had this mentality from (laughs) having the father that they had, uh, which, back to Jose a little bit. So eventually Jose moved the whole family because they were living on the East Coast, Mm-hmm. Uh, both the boys were born on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. They moved the entire family to California, and Jose became a music executive for RCA, which is huge. Whoa, huge! So showbiz baby, he's yeah. He goes, he goes hard. He actually ended up being one of their top executives. He signed the band Duran Duran, kind of big name name drop there. And that's a a great path for someone yes. like a Leo North. Now. Yes, that's why when you were saying that earlier, I was like, yeah, he gets into the entertainment. <laughs> um, so he was acquainted with a ton of celebrities, and everyone still fucking hated him. Everyone hated him. Like, he's super successful. People hate him. He was a fucking dick at work, just in general. Super aggressive, intimidating personality. People did not like him. Um, and then he actually ends up getting into the movie business after he makes it in the music business. So... Um, he, he becomes a movie executive. He moves the entire family to Hollywood. So wow. they are... A lot of moving for him. Yes, a lot of moving. And the whole family is just uproot, go where dad does, because he's so successful, and he's just going to... This is what we do. I'm mm-hmm. successful, and you guys are along for the ride, and I want you all to be successful in your own ways. You know, it all sounds great, right? Like, living <sighs> this really fancy life. You're living in the Hollywood Hills. You're like, the high uh-huh. life. This is a very, very affluent it's interesting. Um, circle of people that you're around, like very, very wealthy. But this household was not happy at all. Mm-mm. Not happy. Um, so it's unfortunate, but not surprising given what we know about Jose. So like I said, he was constantly cheating on Kitty. He had affairs all the time. He had mistresses. He had just all this sexual shit going on. Um, he was a workaholic. So yeah. he worked nonstop. He demanded success of himself uh-huh. and everyone around him, everyone oh, in his family. Yeah. Um, from the moment that the boys were old enough to walk and talk, he made it apparent that they needed to live to his very high standards. <laughs> so he's got the bar set very, very high. He was strict. He was stern. He was overbearing. Very demanding father. He expected his children to excel at everything they did, especially sports and academics, the two things that were modeled to him, the two uh-huh. things that he focused on. 
He wanted his boys to be the best of the best, no matter what. And it definitely says a lot about, like, what we were talking about, his value system. Yes. His psychology. What he finds to be making you worthwhile as a human. Like, you have to be good at these things or you're just nothing. Like, that's really... And that's what he decided, so that's... And it's not changing. Exactly. Exactly. Not, not budging. Rooted in that. Completely Taurus-level, stubborn, <laughs> rooted in that energy. Um, and at the same time, you know, we talked about Kitty having a lot of, like, the emotional stuff going on. She struggled really badly with addiction and substance abuse for most of her adult life. Mm. So, I don't know that she was actually expressing so much... What she was feeling, she was yeah. definitely trying to repress it and definitely trying to, like, self-medicate here. Um, so she wasn't able to be the mother she wanted to be Aww. because she was very, you know, very much under the influence of, of a lot of different substances. Alcohol was one of her um, biggest ones, the thing that she had the most issue with. And she put a lot of blame on her children for her lack of a career. Yeah. Which is super fucked up, but she chose to do that. But at the same time, it was like res she had this resentment. Uh -huh. um, because she wasn't this mother she wanted to be and she wasn't this career woman that she once was either. She was kind of like felt like she was failing at all these roles and just going through this whole addiction cycle. So really like a double edged sword for her. Um, and then, of course, back to Jose, the tactic that he used to get perfection out of his children and everyone around him was shame. Wonderful, right? Wonderful. Doesn't everybody just love shame as a as a tool? <laughs> um, so that's what he did. Whenever he didn't like their behavior, he found a way to turn it into a source of shame. So a really strong example. This, this is a very disturbing trigger warning here. This is really upsetting. Um, Eric was said to have wet the bed until he was 14 from all the anxiety and the trauma that he suffered, which, again, we're talking CSA. We haven't gotten into the details mm -hmm. of that. This is extremely common. For victims of CSA. I remember you saying that. Yes. Uh, because there's also, there's there tends to be a fear of getting out of your bed at night. Yeah. Um, so even if you have to go to the bathroom, like it's, it's a very, very serious thing going on there. So all that anxiety and trauma, major bedwetting issue until his teenage years. And as punishment for wetting the bed. This is so fucked up. Um, his parents would display the sheets. His stained sheets what? on the kitchen table for everyone to see. Okay, first so, of all, it's nasty. Like, let's not put... But the, the, the shame. How I know. Are, how else are you going to feel the shame? Man. Just putting I'm not it out. that in my kitchen. <laughs> if, if that, well, I'm sure, I'm sure Kitty was supposed to bleach the kitchen afterwards. Yeah. But it was like, the, the, the point was, look what you've done. Are you proud of yourself? Like, let's just all mm -hmm. gaze at this. So... Using extremely psychological, like, shaming tactics to control and try to, like, change behavior. Right. Which, that's only going to make it worse. That's only going to intensify it that will. anxiety. It's only going to make him feel worse about himself. It's not helpful. Um, and then, of course, as you can imagine, the older the boys got, the worse their relationship with their father got. That relationship totally deteriorated. The boys became more and more rebellious. Lyle, in particular, the older brother... Um, Jose was losing control of them and he did not like to lose control of anything as we kind of gather from his very domineering personality. Mm -hmm. uh, he constantly felt this need to assert his position in the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. I'm the father. I'm the patriarch. Yep. I'm in charge. Like just constantly feeling like he has that's to. That's what works for him. Mm -hmm. And so he, that's what he continues to do. So he, I was talking a little bit, we talked about the things, the two things he cared about the most for his kids, academics and athletics. So athletics. 
He chose the sport for both of the boys to play. He pushed them into tennis, and they were both exceptional tennis players. Eric was actually ranked 44th in the nation for his age, so he was really, really good. Very impressive. Um, And Kitty was their number one cheerleader, which is kind of sweet. It looked like things from the outside that this was a great family. This was a very successful family. This was a high-performing family. Like, the boys are so good at this. And, yeah. and Jose's so successful. And Kitty's this beautiful mother. Like, it looks so good on the outside. But underneath, things were just so, so fucked up. So that's a little bit of the family dynamic. Uh, the next section goes into more of the boys. Okay. Each kind of their troubled teenage years. Because this, I think, is the core of everything that happened with this crime. I think this is kind of like, we understand the setup and kind of like the early modeling and sort of how these personalities became ingrained in everybody. But here's where they're rebelling. This is where they kind of start to do their own thing. They start to kind of become their own people, but very troubled people. Very troubled people. Um, Instead of like the people that their father wants them to be and tries to force them to be. So... Despite despite their efforts to succeed, the boys were a continuous disappointment to their father. Always. Everything they did. They, were, they could never do enough. So they were good students, but they, they were average. They were, like, more average, you know? Right. They weren't top of the class. They weren't valedictorian. So Jose felt like they were failing a life. If you're not the best, you suck. Uh, that was really his mindset. He was so obsessed with success. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing short of that would do for him. So... Lyle had more expectations and pressure put on him as the older brother. Um, And also being the more assertive one, I feel like Jose kind of had more expectations of how he should perform. And the family Mm -hmm. dynamic was very challenging. And of course, Jose was brutal. He shamed them even for their physical appearance. This is so sad. This part makes me very sad. Lyle had a lot of insecurities about the fact that he started going bald and losing his hair by the time he was 14. Probably stress. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably because of the parents. So this was such a source of shame for Jose. He forced Lyle to wear a toupee to protect the family's image. He couldn't have a bald son. Oh, God. How fucked up is that? Wouldn't you be worried no. about your kid? Nope. Only worried about how other people see your kid. That's what's so <laughs> sick about this is like. Yeah. That's that's how he, he views his position as a father. It's not about like how your kids are doing emotionally, internally, mm-hmm. how they're developing. It's about, like, how do people see you in your family unit? It's how are you looked at from the outside. So very, very uh, disturbing. And just, very. again, demanding all that perfection, even, like, how they looked physically was super, super important because that image was everything. And the boys were seen by outsiders as spoiled little brats. Like, people... Sure they were. And I'm sure they were. Um, but they both really struggled with self-esteem and confidence. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't really know that from the outside. But, like, internally, you know, you have Lyle who's struggling with this, like, physical appearance issue. Mm-hmm. And then Eric having this, like, intense bedwetting issue. Like, there's so much shame. There's so much, like, oh, like, that hurts my heart to think about kids going through that. Um, but they started to rebel a little bit more, like, even Eric, as they got older. Like, Lyle was already kind of rebellious. And then Eric kind of started getting there, too. He started kind of stepping into his uh, personal power as well. And then they started hanging out with, like, not as preppy of a crowd. They started, like, making friends that kind of got into trouble, too. So they kind of found a little rebellious 
group to hang out in and they started committing crimes. They, as teenagers. So here's their kind of pathway into criminality. Um, they started committing a series of burglaries in the neighborhood. They would steal from friends and acquaintances. So people they knew, which is kind of interesting. And right. it was just crimes of convenience. You know, they knew the right. layout of the house. They knew the people. They knew where the valuables were. Like, they kind of um, did this purely because it was easy. Mm-hmm. And it was the thrill-seeking. This was not... They didn't need to steal. These are extremely wealthy kids. This is purely for the psychological thrill of doing it, of being sneaky, of getting right. away with something, of pulling one over, of, like, kind of scheming and doing all of this. And the brothers, like like I mentioned, did a lot of that together. Like, they were kind of raised to be this, like, secretive... Um, scheming little group. They stole over $100,000 from one of the victims, and they were eventually ratted out by a friend. And Jose was furious about this, but he was not furious that they had done what they did. He was mad they got caught. Uh-huh. They weren't successful. Because of how it looked. They weren't. No, they just weren't successful at it. They're idiots. If you're going to do this, you got to pull it off at least, oh you know? God. you got to have a good dismount. They wow. have a shit dismount in Jose's mind. So um, he actually paid off some of the burglary victims to keep them from filing a police report. Uh, so isn't that crazy? And this one time that he wasn't able to intervene first, like, it got they got in actual trouble. So because of his age, Eric ended up taking the fall for everything because he was younger. So it, like... You know, wasn't a bit, wasn't that big of a deal. He had a lot more leniency. He was sentenced to community service. Slap on the wrist. No big deal. Um, no big deal. So there's no consequence. That's the other big thing here is we're not seeing any consequences. And a lot of that is Jose. Yeah. Keeping him from that. Right. From actual real world consequence. Like the only consequences they knew came from Jose. They didn't come from outside. Ugh. Which is an interesting... It makes the, the, the like, way they think about mm-hmm. right and wrong very yes. messed up. And that comes into play big time because, obviously, as you know, spoiler alert, they kill both their parents. Right. So, like, keeping that in mind, like, you see who that they are facing consequences to. Like, mm-hmm. who, like... It's most important what mom and dad think because they will give you more turmoil than real life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's, the, that's the end all be all. Yeah. Of Big everything. things, yes. mom and dad will get you out of it. Little things, mom and dad are going to torture you over. Yeah. Yeah. So, on a happier note, Lila got accepted <laughs> into Princeton. Ivy oh. League. Ivy League. Everything Jose wanted. Now Jose can live through his son. Yeah, isn't that great? Um, but it didn't go well because Lyle couldn't keep his grades up. He got expelled for plagiarizing one of his papers. So, <laughs> um, which, oh the, oh, the shame. Oh, the shame. So it's like high highs and low lows in this family. Like, you think it's going to go good. When every not. little thing is, I mean, blown up. I mean, plagiarism is, you know, not good. But like, wow. But once again, Jose tries to cover this up and yeah. pay people off to keep Lyle out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Jose tries to do this and that didn't work. So... Jose got Lyle a job working in the movie business. You know, he's like, I got connections. But again, that didn't go well. Lyle hated the job, had zero work ethic, none at all, did not want to work, spent most of his time socializing and fucking around. Uh, He would, like, clock out early all the time to go play tennis. He got fired even though his dad was the CEO. So that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. And then Eric, you know, what's Eric up to while Lyle's doing all this? Uh Because, like... Lyle went off to college, and Eric is the only child at home now. Right. Home with dad, home with mom, which is really tough for him. Um, Being more sensitive, he actually really enjoyed writing. 
He wrote a screenplay with his mother, Kitty. They were actually pretty close. Um, and it kind of cracks me up. But the story is kind of eerie that they were writing. Mm-hmm. It was like foreshadowing because the story was about a rich kid that killed his parents for inheritance money. And Kitty was extremely proud of Eric and his creativity and his like, way he could express himself. Uh, but Jose didn't give a shit. He showed no interest. And the boys were so disappointing to him that he considered taking them out of the will. So. Wow. The next sections we're going to get into are actually about the crimes. So if you want to maybe pull up their charts and we can yes. talk about the guys. We will go over their charts right after our video from our sponsor. Our oh. Our from our sponsor. A word now, a word from our sponsor. Word. I couldn't think of the word. I like word. did this. I couldn't You're think of guns. the word word. You so everyone, make sure you know that. <laughs> if you are in Northwest Arkansas and looking for affordably priced photography and videography services, then you should definitely reach out to Nice NWA. Yes, you should. With photo sessions starting at $100, now is a great time to update your company's headshots, get graduation photos, new family pictures, and more. Looking for video work instead? Yes, videos start at just $300 and are a great way to boost your marketing engagement online with current customers and potential new customers. It's also a great way to create highlight reels of your next event or just to tell your story in an exciting and creative way. NICE is not just locally owned and operated, but is also a certified minority and veteran-owned business that started right here in Northwest Arkansas in 2017. So, go check them out on Facebook or on Instagram at NICENWA or by visiting their website at NICENWA.com. Let's go ahead and take a look at Lyle and Eric's charts. Now that we've kind of gone through their whole upbringing, kind of who they are as people, their pathway into criminality... And then we'll really get into the actual crimes that were committed. So, yes. Okay, so Lyle, the eldest brother, and I like saying eldest way more than oldest. I like eldest. Eldest sounds better. Yes. Uh, The elder brother (laughs) uh, was born January 10th, 1968 uh, at 12, 10 p.m. in New York, New York. So really great that we have a birth time. That puts his moon and rising in Taurus with Lilith. Triple Earth. Oh, yeah. And then his sun in Capricorn with his midheaven and Mercury. So he's got some really prominent, strong placements in both of these signs. And then over in Virgo, just to like get, let's throw the other. Just to add more. Just to add the other Earth sign. Um, he's got Jupiter retrograde, Pluto retrograde, and Uranus retrograde, also as part of Fortune. Wow. So, he does have a lot over in Virgo, as well as the other Earth signs. Um, really prominent placements. He is going to be a little bit fanciful by what he's driven by. He has the his Mars in Pisces, so I think that he... He is kind of, like, caught up in what he wants to do and, like, the emotions of it all. Um, He also has Chiron in Pisces, so a lot of this is going to be based on his personal traumas, what he's driven to take action about, which I think is, you know, prominent for this this story. Um, His Venus is in Sagittarius. Now, I remember the Venus placement Mm -hmm. because... Was it moms there, too? um, 
Yes, moms was there. Okay. So I do get the feeling that they had more of the problem with their dad. That yes, the mom, like absolutely. the mom, like I almost said this at the top of the episode, and <sighs> I didn't. I really wish I had now because I, I feel like the dad was like the driver of the problem, and then the mom kind of went along with things. Yes. Um. So I think they did like their mom a little more than their dad, but obviously they both were not being good with them. Um. And then Eric, the younger brother, I did miss misspeak earlier saying he was Taurus. I had the dad's chart pulled up, so this is... There's a lot of Taurus energy in this episode. I know. Um, Younger brother is a Sagittarius with a Scorpio moon, but they're very close together, right up, right, like, hugging on that cusp. Oh, they are. Right on top of each other. I would be proud Mm, of doing That Italian, yeah. Um, I'll send her the timestamp. Yes, send her the (laughs) timestamp. This is for you, Val. Um, So, yeah, this... Uh, Sagittarius Sun, Scorpio Moon. Is, there's a ton over in this part of the chart. Um, Neptune is on the zero degree of Sagittarius. Jupiter is on the 20th degree of Scorpio. Vesta is on the 20th degree of Scorpio. And then Venus is at the almost 10th degree in retrograde of Scorpio. So, oh, and Mercury uh, at the 22nd degree of Sagittarius. So there's just so much in this little section. It's very concentrated. Very chart. concentrated. Yeah. Um, a lot also in Libra with Mars, Uranus, and um, Pluto almost there on the 29th degree of Virgo. Um, a lot in this this quadrant of the chart over here. So I would I would kind of think consider that. Um, the rising sign is in Virgo, and what's interesting is also Lilith in Part of Fortune oh. over here. So when we look back at eldest brother Lyle, the first placement on his chart is also Lilith. So Lilith, again, is all about um, when you find yourself in an uncomfortable bad situation you will do whatever it takes to get out of it um if that's manipulation if that's making a really intense deal if that's you know whatever you need to do to empower yourself to get through that that is what you're focused on and that is something that was a big thing for their dad um but it was more in the way of him trying to get through his own personal traumas where for them it's like how they show up in life is very Lilith because it is like the first thing on their charts. Wow. Um, both That's brothers. That's really cool that they both have that. Right? We have not seen that on the podcast before where both of the like the people uh, that did something together had like that first I'm the same. I'm putting about that because that's really cool. The same first placement and they both have um, I'm double checking now. Yeah, they both have their part of fortune in Virgo. Uh, so something about this Virgo energy for them. Um, Lyle has Jupiter there, and Eric uh, has Pluto there. Um, so it, I think it does bring a lot of this. Uh, one of them brings like the oppor- is more like of the opportunity. One brings more of like this like good luck to what they want to do, and then. Uh, but both of them. It's both Earth signs still, so they're both showing up in this really grounded way and in this empowered way, um, really making sure that like whatever they do together is successful and like brings them to a better situation. That's why everybody said they felt like these two were always like scheming together, like oh, as they were because it, it did it just worked out like that. Yeah, and then past that um, with 
older brothers Venus being in Sagittarius, right where younger brothers Sun and Neptune are, it it's like it, it is a really nice loving situation for them. Like they that heart connection mm-hmm. that you were talking about. Yeah, it's so strong uh, even to it, this day. Like it's kind of sweet. It feels it really, really strong. And then younger brothers Venus and Scorpio is right where older brothers Juno is. So that's his Aww. place of commitment with younger brothers heart space. So they're really committed and really like heart space uh, connected for sure. Um, I think that's really interesting to see here. And then with uh, older brothers Mars in Pisces, younger brother has Mars in Libra. Uh, so it's kind of like one could get carried away and the other one will follow suit. Yeah. Um, I have a Pisces sun and a Libra moon. So yeah. I, like, I understand that energy a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's like, okay. Um, it's, it's very easy for younger brother to go along with older brother. Um, and then I think that older brothers, Mars, would kind of emphasize with younger brothers, Mars. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like this whole, uh, um, and they're so, they're so connected. I think that it's so fascinating, um, to see how they all work together. They both do have pretty intense, um, like squares on their charts. Uh, younger brother has this, uh, kind of, kind of a grand square going on if you count the midheaven, um, but the south node in Leo, which is where parents have a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, but the north node up in Aquarius. So it's almost like they're trying to undo some of the stuff that their dad did. Uh, younger brother is going the opposite direction in life as dad. Um, like, no, I'm starting from this Leo place and it's I don't like it. So, like, we're going to try to go to this Aquarian place. It's counteracting a little bit. Um, this Leo South node is not going to want to stay in a place of worried, being worried about appearances and being, putting on a show for everybody. Um, you know, Eric is going to be more worried about, um, Aquarian things. Um, he's got Pallas and Pholus on his North node. It, it's just not the same type of, uh, calling in life as dad. And then, um, Older brother has North Node in Aries uh, and South Node in Libra. Um, he might have gotten a little more care from mom, I'm feeling, than maybe the old, the younger one did. Maybe yeah. that was before some of the really intense situations came up for right. that family. Right, if you think somebody who has, like, some emotional stuff going on, uh-huh. has a hard time dealing with it, having one small child versus two under yes. two... And they think about the stress that that brings if you're already dealing with, like, Mm -hmm. emotional issues or addiction or anything like that. It's going to intensify it. So I'm sure she was Mm -hmm. able to be a more focused mother for her first child. Right. You know, before um, Eric got there. And that's why we also see older brothers Moon and Taurus, where Moon and Taurus is, like, a connection with the mom that feels more stable, a little more grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, Where younger brother had Moon in Scorpio. And they are opposite, so keep that in mind, too. It's almost like they're emotionally completing each other, the brothers. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Um, But they have opposite (laughs) views of their mom, but, like, still, like, they are, like, you know, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, So younger brother sees the mom as much more, like, intense than... But he still had a close relationship mm-hmm. with her, which is so it's a, interesting. Because intense can be deep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's, it, but it's a very different... It's almost like opposite relationships with the mom, but, like, 
in the same way, like on this on different sides of the spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, that's so wild. Right? Because it just really rings true, but the way you're put it, like explaining it is is so wonderful. I love it. Yeah, it adds that's what I love about these episodes these this podcast, you know, we get like another dimension to the stories. Mm-hmm. So it's just what I really wanted is to like see like the energy to be able to talk about the energy of what happened. Right. Um it it's it lets you like feel into it more. And understand it more. Um, yeah, so anything... Let's see. Saturday, and this is pre-crime, because we're going to be have... talking about them a lot, obviously, after they commit the crimes, too. Uh-huh. Um, so th- I think you're really covering uh, kind of who they are, what they're like, kind of them growing. Very much. And having more strain with their dad, how they feel with mm-hmm. their mom. I think this is all really important and kind of sets us up for the next mm-hmm. part of what happened here absolutely um, if you have any other things i think i, I did want to mention yeah i want to throw in there that younger brother's chiron placement oh yeah uh, you, you'll want to know this <laughs> uh chiron placement is in oh. aries and it is in the eighth house it is retrograde um let's see older brothers was in the 12th house so both of these are very kind of the darker houses of the Zodiac, you know, because mm-hmm. they're more, like, taboo, kind of nuanced, like, um, places of isolation and going to the depths of things, kind of dealing with darker themes of life, um, death, uh, sexuality. Um, you know, I think Younger Brother might have gotten more of uh, the a more aggressive, maybe sexual... Uh, trauma than the older one. You're exactly right. Um, <laughs> You're exactly right. As I got chills when you said really? that. Yeah, we're, we'll talk a lot. I, about I did. That. I was kind of hesitant to even say that. I could tell you it... were, but like I wanted you to keep going. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> you were. You were giving me courage. Yeah. Knowledge. You're exactly right. I have lots of chills from that. Um, yeah. Where the older brother, it looks like more of like this trauma of like he lost his own god in life. Like he was like, oh, like the, I don't know who I am because like this uh, like huge authority figure is so, you know, like, I don't even know how, how to put words to this because I'm getting this like kind of like bones feeling mm. to it. Like mm. this like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's intensity with um, this whole area right. of the charts. Like, it's exciting to figure, to, like, get into, because I'm, I'm, like, so Scorpio, you know? I'm like, oh, I want to get into this, figure it out. But, like, it is very, like, it's, like, hitting me. And we will talk about um, the trauma aspects much deeper. Yes. Where you might feel more comfortable kind of diving into <laughs> it after we, like, yeah, kind of get into that space. Because we're not quite there yet, but, well, like... Well, let's, let's yeah. go ahead and, and move forward, because okay. I think I, I wanted to touch on that before we got into... I think it's important. ...the next part. I think that's an excellent transition. So um, where we kind of left off with the story is, again, like, Jose is very disappointed with the boys. He's considering removing them from the will. They're just such a disappointment. Anything they do, like, he's trying to cover up the consequence because that brings him shame. So he's trying to pay everybody off, keep the boys out of trouble. Like, he's constantly trying to manage this image of them as a family. So tensions have really, really mounted, and one specific incident happened on the family yacht. So... One night, they decided to go on a family yacht outing. Uh, They went to hunt sharks, which I think is kind of random and kind of weird for this, like, rich family to just go hunt sharks. I don't know. Um, And the boys felt weird about it. They they Mm. still talk about, like, they they actually legitimately thought their dad was taking them out to kill them that night. 
So they were really intense. This was a really intense thing. The vibe was weird. The captain of the of the yacht said he felt like something was strange that night. He, Eric and Lyle kept going off by themselves, and the whole thing just felt very strange and very weird, and they weren't like... It was not a normal outing. So um, they didn't talk like a family. They were... Like, the, the boys were reclusive. They kept to themselves entirely. They recount the story that they were in fear of their lives on this trip. Like, they legit thought that's their whole dad's ruse of he was going to, like, throw them overboard, kill them, something, shark hunting, this whole thing. Um... So they believe that was his whole intention. They were paranoid and they were hiding an extremely dark secret also, which CSA, the, the yeah. sexual abuse that these boys had endured for like their entire life. So this, this was on the night in question, you know, of like when the crime was going on, like after they thought their dad was going to kill them, they kind of went through this together. Like they were like, well, we've got to, we've got to save ourselves. Right. It's us or them. Right. Like, they really felt like that's how paranoid they were and that's how scared they were. Well, in the situation they're in, I don't blame them. Right. Um, so, on the night of the murder, Joe, Jose, whatever he wants. I like call him Jose because that's his real name and he wants to Americanize and we'll just call him his real name. <laughs> um, so, Jose and Kitty were relaxing in their pajamas. They're in their den. They're watching television. Uh, they were actually eating some ice cream, like having a really laid back night. Out of nowhere, Eric and Lyle busted into the room carrying shotguns, and they immediately opened fire. So, Lyle shot Jose with a 12-gauge shotgun at very close range. Eric was supposed to shoot Kitty, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. I know. So, Lyle ended up taking charge and shooting their mother first in the leg. She's still alive. She tries to crawl away from the attack, so she's watching her children murder mm -hmm. her you know she and was, just watch the murder of her husband yes yeah, dead. Um, so she's trying to escape she's crawling um and they continued to fire until they were completely out of ammo and kitty still was not dead she actually tried to stand up and run but she slipped and fell in her own blood so she's trying to get out of this horror scene fully knowing what's going on which is just horrific to think about the brothers went outside they reloaded the guns and they came back inside mm. to finish her off with a shot to the face. Wow. Which is, shotguns leave holes. I mean, yeah. I'm talking, this is brutal. This is absolutely a horrific scene. I mean, just. It's not a little bullet. That's a whole shell. Disturbing. <sighs> um, so she was shot 10 times in total. Eric had fired two of those to mm -hmm. make sure that she was dead. And then after the deed was done, they sat on the stairs and just waited for the cops to come. Like, they thought surely someone in this upscale Hollywood neighborhood would have heard all the shotgun blasts. Mm -hmm. It's loud. Um, it's like 10 o'clock at night. So people are still awake, you know. Um, so they were just but assuming. But quite enough for them to definitely hear it. But they were like, it's just a matter of time. Like, somebody's totally going to mm -hmm. call the police. Like, that doesn't happen here. And nothing happened. Nothing happens. They sit there. They're sitting there waiting. Nobody ever comes. And they were like, what? well, what do we do? So at this point, they came up with a plan to avoid consequences for what they had just done to their parents. So okay. they decided it would be best to stage it as a mob hit. 
given their father did some shady business practices. He was super hated by a lot of people. He had all these mistresses. He was banging a lot of people's wives. You know, there's a lot of people who wanted to kill Jose. Yeah. So, you know, but to make it look like a mob hit, they made sure to shoot their parents in the kneecaps to to give it that vibe. So um, now the next step. Now that they've done that, the next step is to come up with an alibi. They ha- Where were they? Okay, we got to yeah. come up with where were we? So they come up with this elaborate story about going to see a movie. Um, but they needed to explain where they were at the time of the murder. And obviously they can't buy a movie ticket for after the fact, you know. But they came up with a pretty good plan, okay. honestly. Right. They decided to say that the movie they originally went to see was sold out. So they went, they couldn't get tickets, it was sold out, so they had to drive all the way across town to another theater to go see something else, and they did buy tickets to that movie, and they did sit through a movie. Okay, that's pretty clever, but... Yes. So this wow. this accounted for their timeline. So they had all that figured out. Um, mm-hmm. They had ticket stubs now to corroborate this timeline, and then after the movie, they come home, they return to the scene, and they make an infamous 911 call. You can listen to this call. It is a hysterical sobbing, emotional. Lyle made the call. And he said, somebody killed my parents. He's he's crying. He would be the better pick for this yes. call. He is uh, sobbing. Looking at their charts. He is sobbing profusely. Um, and it was actually a little bit difficult for dispatch to understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it, oh, God, I can hear it in my mind. Like, I can hear it. It's so, so intense to listen to this, especially knowing... That they're the ones who did it and, like, mm-hmm. hearing the level of emotion. Like, 911 calls can be very disturbing to listen to after the fact. Um, but the officers on the scene said the boys were completely hysterical. Eric was screaming uncontrollably. He was curled up in a fetal position on the lawn and Lyle was trying to comfort him. But Eric was just completely inconsolable. They were so distraught. They seemed genuinely traumatized. So nobody suspected that they could have been involved in this because they were just out of their minds. Um, and police thought they were so credible, too. Like, they didn't even test their hands for gunshot residue. That's a normal protocol. Whoa. They did not even do that, so they deviated from that. Um, and they, oh, the scene was so bad. There was blood and body parts, like, just everywhere. Shotgun blasts, you're obliterated. Like, that is a close range. Like, you're talking a hole the size of, like, two softballs. Like, you're, like, that's... They they were blown away. So it was gruesome. It was messy. And it was like, seemed kind of unprofessional for a mob hit. You know? Like, yeah. like they, they don't come in and just annihilate you. They would get a clean shot. You know? They, or maybe, maybe the kneecap thing that would look like torture. But they're not going to do it quite like this. But for Jose, it did make sense. But Kitty's murder is what really baffled people. Because she had no enemies. Everybody liked her. Mm-hmm. She was like, it was almost like she was a casualty she was the likable one. of mm-hmm. whatever Jose was doing. It just didn't make sense. It would be more likely that she would be kept for like ransom mm-hmm. or, or something. You know what I mean? Like if it were a mob yeah. hit. So it was kind of an interesting. Anyway, the really interesting thing I think is the way the boys behaved after the murder. So this is how they ended up getting caught. Eric and Lyle seemingly got away with it. Like, police believed their story. They went on with their lives. Nobody questioned it. But they did a lot of things to draw attention to themselves. And it made people very suspicious. So they started spending money like crazy. They inherited Jose's $14 million estate. 
Wow. The day before their parents' funeral, Lyle bought three Rolex watches and a bunch of expensive new clothes. <laughs> they showed up late to the funeral. Lyle made some lighthearted comments about taking his father's place. Yeah, uh, and that was just, that like, was directly a contradiction from this grief that they felt. Like suddenly he's Mr. Lighthearted and Mr. Jokey Joke about it. Um, so they no longer seem sad. They kept spending money. Lyle bought a restaurant. He bought a Porsche. He started an investment firm. He started uh, hiring a bunch of his friends from Princeton. So he's suddenly a busy businessman, like walking around, which is interesting. Um, Eric was a little bit more humble with like what he did. He he just got a new Jeep. Mm-hmm. And he started paying for a private tennis coach who charged $50,000 a lesson. And this is in 1989. In today's money, one lesson would cost $119,480 no. for one private tennis lesson. So to put it in perspective with inflation of like what this money, how much fucking money this is. So they continued to live in the house. Where their parents were killed. They got all new furniture and they rented two fancy condos on the beach. They stayed there most of the time. Mm -hmm. But they just are really living the high life. And Lyle was holding it together really well. Mm -hmm. Like he was doing okay. But Eric was falling the fuck apart. He was not okay at all. Um, And this is like he started going to therapy. And Mm -hmm. that's really how they ended up getting caught. Really? Yes. So Eric confessed what they had done to his therapist, and Lyle was pissed. Yeah, Lyle is is the one that really, like, made this happen. He was committed to the story. He's the, the Capricorn stellium, and then Eric is not the same. Oh, God. You want to know how Lyle handled this? I feel like you could probably make a prediction. How... How do you think that Lyle would handle Eric confessing to his therapist? How would he how would he handle that? Oh, like he was betrayed and devastated. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Let me just tell you. Yeah. Well, think about the example that was always set for them. He did exactly what the his shame. father had done and tried to buy their way out of trouble. He tried to pay oh. off the therapist, just like Jose pay, tried to pay I everyone see, off. I wouldn't have thought about yeah, that. I, I would have thought that was your first guess for some reason. I no, like I was thinking about in relation to the brother, like oh, what he no. would do to the brother. No, to so protect, I wasn't thinking about the to therapist. To protect here. both of them. To keep them from yeah, consequences. Yeah, because that's the example that was set. Yes, I'm going mm-hmm. to buy our way out of this. Mm-hmm. So... He bribed Eric's therapist and paid him to keep his mouth shut. But this guy was secretly recording every single counseling session. So um, he coerced Eric to talk about it over and over and, like, confess all he had done on tape. Mm -hmm. But the therapist didn't go to the police. He was just saving these tapes. But turns out this therapist is also a huge piece of shit. Um, His mistress, who was also his secretary, is the one who... Um, felt compelled to turn the tapes over to the authorities because she knew all this was going on, how wrong it was, and how he was being bribed. And she was like, this is just disgusting. So she turned the tapes over to the authorities. And this shocking twist, the police put the pieces together that that the two boys that they felt so sorry for were actually the murderers. So insane. Then they started looking into it. Records indicated the boys had purchased shotguns just two days before the murder. So all these things that they weren't even looking at. Um, It was made known that Kitty confided in her therapist that she was afraid of her sons. She started locking her bedroom at night when she slept. Wow. She was scared of them. She had picked up on it. She had picked up on it. 
So um, that's kind of the actual murder. The next whole section is the actual trial, which is where the sexual abuse comes in hot and heavy. I mean, like, it's kind of the base of the mm -hmm. trial. So we don't get into any of those details. And yeah. so do you want me to go ahead and go into the trial, or do you want to talk a little bit yeah, about I, their murder? Yeah, I think all I want to mention is just a reminder about their Mars placements, like what drove, drove them to actually take action <laughs> on what they were doing and, and how the oldest brother, you know, he would get, like, all in this other world of emotion about it and he he had this whole uh vision of what he wanted to do um you know i think that his mars is also in the sixth house or in the um 11th house it's, it's kind of near his fullest placement i think there's um there's there's so much on his chart where he is more of like the driver for this and then the little brother is kind of like yeah yeah like that that sounds like a good plan and like kind of the softer one um but not so much where he's uh not part of it like he's right. he's got a lot of fire you know i think that he gets fired up about it he's an he's, active participant he's, but he's also active, swayed yes easily by his brother he's swayed a little easier where the because the older brother is, is so capricorn and so like this is how this is what it is and like and then the other one gets fired up and um you know he's got the uh, Scorpio, Mars, it's still very intense. It's still very, they both have, um, or sorry, not, not Scorpio, um, Libra, Mars. It's right at the end of Libra, um, where it's like, he kind of takes on mm. that, um, that same energy of who he's around a lot. And a lot of that will happen with Libra. Um, his Mars is in his second house, uh, he's going to do things that he thinks are meaningful and value and of value. Uh, his Venus is was in Scorpio is what I was mentioning. And since he's got like this deep devotion with his brother, I think that that plays into it. Um, but really just how their, uh, places of trauma and their, their chirons and their places of action, their Mars, um, both play into the way they carried it out. Yeah, makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Where he was like, the younger one was not really able to make those yeah. shots to the mom at first. Um, he just did the ones to make sure she was dead. He right. Could, he couldn't do it in Where the Where the older one could get more carried carried off into his feelings and like make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, it's very interesting to see on the way their charts line up. Uh you know, it would it would form kind of an in conjunct with their Mars placements just about. Or uh, let's see. Actually since there's on the cusp, it's more of a trine, so they work really well together. Huh. Um since that Mars placement for the younger brother is so close to Scorpio and uh the older ones is so much at the beginning of Pisces, it's more at that one twenty degree mark. Uh, it's, it's really helpful for yeah. them working as a team and getting something done. They kind of fill in the gaps for each other. Yeah. And the one that was better at the phone call that could be more, oh my God, you Convincing know, uh -huh. like, yeah. Cause Eric was falling apart. He was I, a mess. He yeah. Do, like the whole thing he was, you know, I mean, he ended up being the one where his emotions ended up, mm -hmm. he couldn't keep it to himself. He couldn't play it cool. Yep. Lyle could play it cool really easily. Eric yeah. could not. Um, 
So I guess we'll go ahead and get into the trial because this is, oh my yes, gosh. Yes, I want so, to hear about the trial. Trigger warning, trigger warning, times a million. We're going to talk a lot about some abuse things that are uncomfortable um, but very necessary in this story. So during the trial, the Menendez brothers stated that they committed the murders in fear that their father would kill them after they threatened to expose him for years of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse. That's a good motive. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a... At the time, it was not taken very seriously. Really? Yeah. Right, because again, a- it was in 1996. It was not taken the same way as it would be now, which again, that's why this case is important, I think, for us to still talk about. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's a real threat. And at first, they were, um, well, okay, the prosecution argued they just wanted their inheritance. They just wanted the multi-million dollar state. The whole motive was money, had nothing to do with abuse. And so that was kind of the battle back and forth between the defense and, and the prosecution. that was the focus in the 90s and early 2000s. Yes. It's like all these these rich heirs yes. just want to kill their parents Absolutely. and take the inheritance. And it was very, I don't know, very, everyone was so concerned about everyone's egos with money And this is very interesting because at first they were tried separately. Mm -hmm. Uh, with one jury for each brother and both juries deadlocked and they both resulted in a mistrial Mm. so the second trial they were tried together by a single jury and they were found guilty in their second trial so that's the long story short but we're going to get into kind of the nitty-gritty because csa was viewed very differently it was not seen as a valid defense back then and i think it would be totally different now and we can see how this with gypsy rose Mm-hmm. In her abuse and that level. I was level. thinking of her. Yeah, so that was season one, episode four of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, where there Definitely was extreme abuse going on. And even though there was a horrific murder committed, she got a very light sentence because the abuse mm-hmm. factor was considered very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not done that way for, for uh, Lyle and Eric. So it's very interesting to look at how times have changed. I almost wonder if, it, if Gypsy Rose being a woman made it seem like she was more also, of a victim yes. than the boys. Right. Yeah. Um, but also, here's another interesting thing. This trial was broadcasted on live TV. So it was like a big reality show in the 90s. Uh-huh. So um, another thing, and I talked about a little bit about how they were portrayed mm-hmm. in the media, had a lot to do with how they dressed for court. And they, they had an adolescent spoiled, right? Adolescent. No? Adolescent oh. was the way they were going. Okay, Young, okay. adolescently youthful, because I always thought they were younger than they were. And this is why. Because it was broadcast on the trial. Um, like, that that was part of it. They wore these bright colored sweaters with these little collared shirts underneath. It helped their image, made them seem young. Um, even though they were both legal adults, it just gave them this young mm-hmm. feel. Um, like, you have to look at pictures. It's very, very wow. interesting. Very preppy, but very, like, young looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it was a death penalty eligible case, which was a huge deal. But they were both sentenced to life without parole, which is extremely harsh when you consider the abuse factor, which was not really considered back then. So trigger warning, if this is too intense, please skip ahead. This is very sensitive. Again, I'm covering it from a clinical and informative perspective as much as possible. But here we go. The allegations of abuse started very early. Family members of Eric recalled hearing firsthand stories from him of sexual abuse at the hands of Jose as early as 10 years old. He was literally trying to see if other kids experienced this too. Just horrific. Um, He also begged anyone he told never to say anything about it. Everyone was scared of Jose, so the secrets were really Mm -hmm. kept by even close family members until after the murders, and that's when family members started coming forward. 
Um, and then on the stand in court, this is so intense. If you've ever seen a documentary about this, you will see this. Lyle and Eric completely bare their souls. They expose the entire truth about the level of abuse from their father. Um, he regularly forced them to perform oral sex. There was manual fondling. There was penetration with various objects. Um, and what I believe was the most heartbreaking moment of the trial. This almost makes me want to cry. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lyle gave a tearful apology on the stand to Eric as he confessed that he played with Eric in the same way when they were children. So he acted out the abuse. He was he also was a child and didn't... receiving. This is very common, and I t I'll talk about this too. Right. Um, it's gut wrenching to see and hear. It's not uncommon. Obviously, children do not understand the complexities of what a sexual relationship entails. And when a child is groomed to believe that what they're experiencing is normal, they sometimes repeat the behavior on someone else, putting themselves in the role of the abuser and emulating what was done to them because that is normalized behavior. Uh, but when he looks at his little brother and he's like, I'm so sorry, and he's crying and they're both crying. I mean, it is so intense to see and to think they got life, you know, without parole for this is kind of like, wow, you know. Well, there's nothing that can be done with this sentence. Like... So uh, we, we're going to talk about future things for <sighs> this right, case. Right. Uh, but first, I'm going to go deeper into sexual offense in general. So like why people offend, like how this happens. Mm -hmm. So past learning experiences is a big part of it. Uh, cognitive expectations and beliefs, mm -hmm. conditioning, environmental stimuli, and reinforcement contingencies. So that's when sex is used for rewards and punishment. And this happens a lot, mm -hmm. especially when the parent is the abuser. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes the victim learns how to use sex as like reward and punishment too. Right. It's a mutual thing that happens. It's very sick. It's very sad. But this is part of how it works in this dynamic. It's very disturbing, but it exists in our society mm -hmm. every single day. And I think it's really important to just educate people. Um, but as always, the propensity to commit any type of sexual crime involves experiencing multiple risk factors during childhood. So, and your adolescence and beyond. So, um, this is true with any criminal act. There is not a single factor. Um, it's like accumulation. It's a perfect storm of events that happens to create these scenarios. Um, so very, very complex. And in this particular situation, we have incest, which is one of the most common forms that most, you know, most children who are uh, victims of CSA, mm -hmm. it's someone they know and most often a relative. So the stranger danger that kids are taught, it's actually be afraid of the people in the close circle, not to scare parents. This, these are facts. These are statistics. Um, the, I'm just relaying this information because it's relevant to the story. It's relevant to what we're talking about. Um, but incest is, it's uh, between relatives, obviously. It depends on how the law defines relative and adult. These are two words that like, Depending on state by state, how this is defined, there's different ages of consent. It's very, you know, the distance of relative. It's it's very, very nuanced depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. um, but it's associated with, um, like, higher risk for later onset serious issues with um, self-destructive behavior, with deep depression, with substance abuse, um, lots of fear and anxiety, and uh, major interpersonal problems come from this type of abuse. So this is like a really 
horrible thing. Some of the psychological effects for victims, which I think this is, again, relevant in this case when you are looking at these young men who just murdered their parents. Mm -hmm. They murdered their abuser. Their mother was really the thing, I think, that made it so awful was that she was not... Um, she, she, well, okay, arguably, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Arguably, yeah. <laughs> arguably. Okay, so um, male and female victims of sexual assault are two to four times more likely than non-victims to develop serious psychological problems. They're essentially victimized twice, once by the perpetrator and then again by the criminal justice system during the investigation of the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, if the suspect is arrested, the prosecution, they have to go testify. They have to face this. They have to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to be questioned and yeah. and prodded at. And and you see things like this in this trial where, you and know. everyone has to know about it. The prosecutor's even saying things like, were you gay? Did you like it? Like, were you, like, they're basically implying that this was consensual. Right. Which is just fucked it's up. It's fucked up. So we look at this case so differently now through a new set of eyes. But mm-hmm. um, getting subjected to that scrutiny by the media, the public, people questioning whether the incident even happened or if they're making it up. Being a liar, being told you're a liar, the intense um, self-blaming that goes on with this, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And there's a lot of different types of child sex offenders or CSOs. Again, they choose victims that they know. Mm -hmm. This is important because they invest a great deal of time, energy, and planning how to access their victims. So that is part of this whole thing. It's scary to think about, but these people like psychopaths are very calm. Mm -hmm. They're patient. They enact these plans like this. Grooming takes time. Yeah. They, they figure out which child children they can do this to and get away with it the longest and how they're going to do it. It is well calculated and planned. Um, And also in this setting, it was well known that nobody was allowed to go near a locked room when Jose would take one of the boys for some alone time. Nobody would go near that room. Whoa. Yeah. Stories like this continue to come up from family members and acquaintances that corroborated all the abuse allegations, which is just disturbing because it's like everybody knew and nobody was protecting them because everyone was so afraid of Jose. Wow. So super intense situation. Um, And, you know, these types of offenders are different from rapists because... Like, like normally they have different, they, they're more preoccupied. They have a lot of other paraphilias too, which of mm-hmm. course Jose was highly sexual. He had a lot of affairs. He had a lot of mistresses. Mm-hmm. So he did have a lot of other sexual things going on mm-hmm. versus a rapist who was like more sexually aggressive and random and like kind of enjoys that aspect of it. This was a grooming process. So it's so different. Um, Jose actually would fall into the category of what is called a heterosexual nurturer. And this is the largest group of CSO. They only victimize males with whom they have an authoritative or caretaking relationship over. Yeah. So there's a dominance aspect. There's so a... So his Mars is conjunct Ceres, which is about ooh. the caretaking and that comforting... Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, gives me chills. It's, I know. It's very it's in, gross. It's in Cancer, so it is a lot of that, like parental care kind of um caretaking again in that way too yeah so we're almost through this part you guys um so bear with me 
very informational, but also I know it's very upsetting to hear a lot of this, but it is again, extremely, extremely relevant to the case and was not taken as seriously as it should have been during mm -hmm. the trial, which is why these two are still in prison. It's also in his 12th house, which is like this hidden component of his life. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a little bit about the victimology, which I've talked a little bit about, but when um, you're, a CSO is going to, again, choose victims that are known to them, that they've spent a lot of time with, they've secured access, they've earned trust, um, they've gotten other people out of the way, they've removed all the barriers, mm -hmm. they've made it where they can easily spend time with these victims alone, um, they groom children to get closer to them, even their own family. So... Um, some four major risk factors that are present and indicative of this type of uh, intrafamilial child abuse. Number one, a conflicted and abusive home, which absolutely, they had that. Number two, family tolerated nudity, like child and adult. And so it's obvious, like with Jose, but here's where Kitty kind of comes in. There were allegations against Kitty inappropriately washing, ugh, Trigger warning. Mm -hmm. Washing the genitals of the boys into their teen years, especially Eric. Mm. That she would give them annual genital exams. I don't know how, why, what the truth is here, but that was an allegation. Mm -hmm. uh, low maternal affection is a third one, and that's kind of debatable here. But they definitely had an abnormal relationship with their yeah. mother. I don't know... I, I don't know that she was able to show them affection properly with all her addiction stuff, but there's something, a weird dynamic with the mother here, but that's that's one of the risk factors. And then low parental affection for one another. And this Jose and his constant cheating. And even though they like kind of had this like seemingly pleasant relationship, like there was turmoil in their relationship that the boys saw. So it's kind of like a little bit of all four of these big risk factors are coming into play here. So I think that's um, important. And then, like, the very last part of the story before we go back into the charts is incarceration. So we're going to go back to just before um, the trial and everything when they were being held. The other prisoners absolutely hated Lyle and Eric. Ugh. Absolutely hated them. Um, they had... They had to have constant surveillance and protection because they were, like, the little rich boys. So these prisoners oh. wanted to just eat them alive, you know? Um, and then after they were convicted, they hoped that if nothing else, they would end up in prison together. And that did not happen. Really? Did not happen. So they they still remained incredibly close. They wrote letters back mm -hmm. and forth. They even played a version of chess <laughs> through letters. Like, Aww. they just kept this connection. They remained in separate prisons until... February of 2018, when Lyle was moved into the same unit as Eric, and wow. they were reunited for the first time, um, and it was 22 years that they were apart, and I've seen wow. a video of this, and it's quite possibly the sweetest thing ever. Like, they are in tears, embracing each other, they're so happy to see each other. I mean, it is like, it's, this story is so wild, but it's like, kind of heartwarming to see yeah. these two get to be together again. Um, in their unit. So um, it, it's they were also uh, agreeing to participate in education and rehab programs. They, they didn't create any disruptions. They were model prisoners, especially once they were together. Like it made their entire prison experience better. It made it better for the guards, mm -hmm. for like everybody around. Like these two are no longer any sort of problem because they've got each other now. Wow. Um, they both ended up getting married in prison which is interesting and they have maintained relationships with their wives despite wow. incarceration 
Lyle even got a divorce from his first wife and married another woman. <laughs> so if you're single, don't give up. Don't you give up. Um, and then, like I was saying, there might be a way to reevaluate this case. So there's new laws. I hope so. This is interesting. There are some new laws in place. A lot of legal experts and even legal counsel involved in the case originally mm-hmm. agree that things would have been handled very differently if it were tried today. So we already talked about this, but there is a chance that this case could be under review as a result. Assembly Bill number 593 was created to amend a section of the penal code relating to domestic violence Mm -hmm. to now include evidence of child sexual abuse in cases like this. So it goes under the umbrella of intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't specify the gender of the victim. And in this situation, an appeal could mm-hmm. possibly be filed to have another review of the Menendez case. So, I mean, they could potentially get a new trial and fight for parole. Wow. So, I, I hope would, so. I would love to hear what you guys think about yeah. all that in this case. And we're done with the heaviness. So thank you for letting me get through that. I feel like I just need to power through <laughs> oh, it. absolutely. And get us back to the astrology to kind of like mm-hmm. regroup and recover from... The heaviness of, you know, all those details. So thank you guys for bearing with me there. I just, there's, it's absolutely relevant for this case to talk about all of that. I'm really glad we talked about this case for sure. Yes. This has been a really fascinating case all around and the charts are really fascinating. If you are interested in seeing the charts with your own eyes, uh, definitely hop on our Patreon because we offer that um, as a... Part of our membership for yep. Patreons, so they can see all of the charts with their own eyes you on our archives. Access to all of my notes, mm-hmm. too, so you get to actually look through all of my, like, detailed, mm-hmm. nonsensical stuff, too. Like, there's there's a lot of uh, yeah. well-researched details and then just kind of me bullshitting in there sometimes, too. Yeah. But, yeah, any final chart thoughts that you want to share? I feel like we really covered a lot here. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> As far as some of that goes, like, I would be hesitant to put any astrological uh, detail into specifics. No, I was like thinking that. more about, like, the new trial but and the, potential for parole. Do you see anything that may look like um, could have some sort of, I don't know. Let's see. The 12th house things, I don't know. Well, for trial, for, um, you know, trials, we typically seventh look at house. the 7th yep. house. And um, we see on Lyle's chart, we've, he's got Neptune there. Um, he's, he's in Scorpio. And then on Eric's chart, his seventh house is over in Pisces. And it uh, is a small house. Um, I, I'm not seeing too much i think that i mean it might never happen there they might never get review of these cases it might but... it might be more dependent on the transit charts which you know i don't know what kind of timeline we're looking at so right. i don't want to waste everyone's time looking at like years worth of transits right um but i mean we do have eclipses come up in scorpio we'll have eclipses in uh pisces here in you know like six-ish years so i i feel like um Maybe I could see something coming up around uh, then, maybe um, just depending on uh, 
kind of which I'm not sure how their connect their case is like connected. Maybe yeah. one would happen before the other, or maybe one would be like subsequent to the other. I'm not sure. Yeah, because they've both been tried separately and together. Right. So I'm not sure how that would be approached if they would both. I feel like the best bet would be to take both of them as one case and put it in front right. of one jury. And just for parole. Mm-hmm. Just for the, the possibility of parole. Because I honestly do not think these two are dangerous to anybody mm-hmm. else. I I think it's the same with Gypsy Rose. I don't think that she has motive to kill anybody. Oh, no. You know, I don't think that they are a danger to society at all. They actually seem very high functioning, well behaved, mm-hmm. highly intelligent people that could probably contribute to society in a yeah. meaningful way. Um if so, they were given the opportunity. But I just don't know. Something that is interesting is that the older brother does have his North Node in the 12th house, which mm. would make me feel like more prison-y. But yeah. then the, the younger brother has his South Node in the 12th house, his <laughs> North Node in the 6th house. So that would make me think he's coming out of prison. And but what if they were tried be, separately and one got paroled Wouldn't it be didn't? crazy if that one did and the other didn't? That would be crazy. Um... And we're just I, speculating I really, about possibilities. You know, here, and it's it's really still on the same spectrum. Like they still both have this um, kind of sixth, twelfth house uh, life path. So I really don't know if I either even go as far to like make a solid prediction. But it is interesting. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Or are we? Mm-hmm. Are we are we good? I think, we're, I think we're good to conclude. Okay, guys. Well, this has been a really wild ride, and we it has been. We appreciate you guys for buckling up and like going on this journey with us. That is Eric and Lyle Menendez, um, also Jose and Kitty. Uh, if you liked what you heard, saw, um, please let us know. We would love for you to rate, review, subscribe, like, follow, do all the things. Join our Patreon for extra bonus content. We would love that. Don't forget about our amazing workshop that we have. Uh, Connect with us on social media individually. If you're into a reading of any sort, we can help you with... We we do a wide variety of things. And you can find all the info at darkalignmentpodcast.com. And that has been Season 4, Episode 1. Thank you guys so much. We hope you all take care of yourselves. Love yourselves. And as always, chart all the bitches in your life and we'll see you next time see ya bye